Well, it wasn't that long ago, maybe just a couple of years ago, that I remember having a conversation with my wife, and it went something like this. I said, what, you know, we're spending all this money on cable, and there's all these shows that I don't watch. Wouldn't it be great if there was just a way that you could just pay for what you wanted to watch? Fast forward. We now have two smart TVs, and we have more apps than we know what to do with. I don't know how many apps, maybe you've never counted uh, how many apps that you have to watch the different shows. But I, I just, I want to show you, like, some of them this morning. Because the first one, man, I love Star Wars. And if you're a Star Wars fan, you have to have Disney+. Plus, Right? So you got to add that because you want to be able to watch all the Marvel shows and Star Wars. If you have children, right, this is a given. As a matter of fact, my son pays for this and we share the family plan, Right? So I get this, but my son is paying for this because of uh, my grandson. So I'm grateful for that. But that's not the only thing I want to watch, right? And that's probably true for you. I mean, I want to watch obscure documentaries about sports icons that nobody cares about. So I want to have Disney or ESPN Plus, right? Because the 30-30 is important to me. I got to have that. And all the different sports stuff uh, that comes with it. And, and then uh, there's... Apple TV Plus. Now, I will tell you that my favorite documentaries are on Apple TV Plus. Uh, Ewan McGregor took three motorcycle trips literally around the world. And, uh, and so I love to watch these all the time because he goes to places where I've traveled and been to. And I just love to watch the journey and the experience and all of that. So I got to have my Apple TV Plus. And then there's Paramount Plus, right? Because if you're a Star Wars fan, you might be a Trek fan, but you can only watch the new Star Trek shows if you have Paramount Plus. So you got to have those. And my wife is a Survivor fan, right? And so all of the Survivor series are on there. So you got to have your Paramount Plus. You're following me, right? And then there's AMC Plus because there's a lot of dead. There's The Walking Dead, The Fear of the Walking Dead, The Talking Dead, The Beyond the Walking Dead. There's just a lot of dead. So you gotta, you gotta have your AMC Plus for that. And then for some of you, it's, it's Hulu Plus. For, I don't, I don't know, there's no reason I would wanna have Hulu Plus, but maybe, maybe that's your choice. That's okay, there's no judgment here. But we all have these different apps. Now, we say that this is all better, right? Because this is what I thought I wanted. But I'll be honest, I think I'm paying more now than I was before. And it's more complicated because you got to go on, you got to find these, you got to download the apps, you got to do different things. And if you ever, you know, forget your password, and then you got to go through all of that. It's more complicated. It's more expensive. And honestly, I think it separates us more. It used to be a time when we, when we wanted to be entertained that we would sit together as a family. I remember doing that as a kid. And even when my kids were younger, we would plan around the week, certain days of the week, we would watch certain shows and we would sit down together and we would laugh together. And that doesn't happen anymore. I know my son's watching TV someplace else because, you know, my Disney Plus will shut off because there's too many of us watching something at the same time. So I got to watch something else, right? He's in another house somewhere else. We're not together. My wife's upstairs watching her show. I'm downstairs watching something else. We're separating ourselves even more. I'm not really sure that it's all that better. You say, Dad, what in the world does this have to do with anything, right? Trust me, you were probably asking that question. I'm glad you asked. So here's where I'm going with this. Sometimes I think 
that we treat our relationship with Jesus this way. (laughs) Starting out, when we first discover Jesus, we get to know who this Jesus is, and we begin to, to know who he is, and we get to learn more about Jesus, and we get to that point where we give our lives to Jesus. We're like, this is God's son. We give ourselves to Jesus, and then we start to talk about Jesus, and we might go to church because it just makes sense. If, if I'm following Jesus and I love Jesus, I should be around other people who love Jesus. And so you might make that a regular part of your routine. And you're just trying to figure out what is this Christianity? What is this following Jesus all about? And then somewhere along the line, somebody comes up to you and says, oh, if you think Jesus is good, you should try Jesus plus, because this is even better, right? And let's be honest, we do this. It, it, sometimes it's, it's in good intentions. Sometimes it could be spiritual pride, other reasons. But somebody comes along when you're young in the faith and they go, oh, you should pray and you should pray this prayer and it should be this many minutes a day. And then you should add a journal for your prayer so that when you pray, then you can write the prayer that you uh, just prayed. And, and then when you read scripture, you should read scripture this many times a day in this many books and for this long of period of time and then you should get a second journal because you need a journal about the scripture that you just read before you prayed and then wrote about what you prayed about. Does this sound complicated? <laughs> and then we, then we add other things on there. We have people who tell us we should be at every event at the church even though it might not be for us, we should be at those events and if we really wanted to be close to Jesus and get to know him, we should serve And then there's the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude and giving and fasting and more. Some Christian denominations or groups require confession and weekly communion. Some people tell you that you should worship on a particular day of the week if you want to be right with God, if you want more, if you want Jesus plus. I don't know about you, that doesn't really sound better to me. And I don't think it sounds better to people who are new believers or unbelievers who are trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. I think, church, sometimes we've confused. We, we've confused the rules and religion with simply the relationship with Jesus. And it may not be intentional, but we sometimes have added things on and given a burden to others because I'm not feeling better when I read all of these things. And I just wonder if we have created a Jesus plus culture. You see, we celebrated Easter last week. That God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. That he lived, that he suffered, that he died on the cross, that he rose again and ascended into heaven and that with a relationship with him, we get to be in eternity with him. That he forgives us of all of our sins. Jesus didn't die and rise again so that we might have new rules. He died and rose again that we might have new life in him. And we've confused that. Last week, as I said, we celebrated this Easter, this new paradigm, this new shift about new life and a new kind of family. As people were coming to know Christ, they were, they were being exposed to this new, new kind of family that they had. And it was simple. You know, there was no longer any Jewish laws, right? The temple 
curtain had been torn in two, and we now have a direct relationship with God. The 611 laws of the Torah that people used to follow in order to love God and love others, those are the two commands, right? But they added 611 burdens, these different rules that you had to follow if you wanted to be right with God. That was no longer the case. The Jewish laws had been fulfilled. It was just Jesus. And there was no separation between Jews and Gentiles. It was just Jesus. And no difference between male and female equality. It was just Jesus. No power structures of rich or poor, slave or free. It was simply all about a relationship with Jesus. Anyone who entrusted themselves to Christ by faith were accepted into this new family. And this family grew like crazy. People were coming to know Christ. Lives were being changed. It was a beautiful mess. We're told in Acts chapter 1 that there was 11, the 11 disciples who were there when Jesus ascended. And Jesus said, I want you to tarry. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until I send my Holy Spirit. Forty days after that, they're gathered together. There's now 120 It's already grown from the 11 disciples to 120. They're all gathered in a room. The Holy Spirit comes and they go out into the streets of Jerusalem and Peter and others begin to preach. And more than 3,000 people come to Christ that day. They say, statistically, that probably in the first year or two, year and a half of Christianity, more than 14,000 people came to know Christ. And it just continued to grow. By 67 AD, about 30 years later, right, there was 95,000 believers in the Roman Empire and there were 6,000 house churches that had been planted. That's amazing. That's, That's exponential growth. And listen, they didn't have anything else except for the stories of Jesus. There was no New Testament. The Gospels were just in the process, and New Testament books were just in the process of being written. Most of the churches didn't have any of that. What would you do? If you came to know Christ and your life had been transformed, you're a part of this new family, what would you do? Well, they just did what came natural to them. They're like, we're followers of Jesus. We should get together with other followers. So they gathered together. They said, well, some of us sometimes get hungry. Okay, well, let's break bread together. And then they prayed and they praised and... They heard stories about Jesus. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, that's kind of what they just naturally started to do. They gathered together for fellowship and prayer, and they broke bread together in their homes, right? They gave their possessions away to, to bring the equality and bring people into this new family. And it was exploding. Things were changing. Things were happening. And it was the work of the Apostle Paul that helped to see that exponential growth. The Apostle Paul was uniquely called by Jesus, later on, uniquely called by Jesus to go to the Gentiles. That was not the case for the 11, but it was for Paul. And Paul would spend much of his time in a place called Galatia. It was where many of the churches were planted that were growing in this season. And that's why we get to this story of Galatians. But before we start, I want to give you just a little bit of background of what was happening. Because these churches didn't have a whole lot to go on, except for their faith in Jesus and trying to follow him, other people began to come into the churches, come into this family, 
and they begin to add to the gospel. There were Jewish Christians, converts, who came in who said, oh, I know you love Jesus and things are going great, but if you really want to know Jesus, you should try Jesus plus. You should get circumcised. You should, uh, you should start following these, these festivals that the Jews follow. You should start doing these rules. And if you did all these things, you'd be so much better off than just Jesus. And it began to complicate the church. It, things started to fall apart. And so Paul, seeing these things, hearing these things, goes to Jerusalem and in Acts chapter 15, they have a, a council in Jerusalem where they make decisions because they're like, well, what do we do with all this? Is this true? Is this not true? What do we do? There's people on both sides. What does it mean to be a Christian? Do you have to follow rules and regulations? Is it just Jesus? Do you start with Jesus and add things? What, what is it all about? So the council sets up in Acts 15 and it starts off by telling us that certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, which is in Galatia, and we're teaching to the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. They're adding to what is Christ has already done. What they're saying is what Christ has done for us on the cross is not enough. You have to be circumcised if you really want to be saved. You have to start following these rules if you really want to be close to God. And this argument breaks out at the council. And finally, Peter, who's there, who is the leader of the church, the rock, right? The one who walked with Jesus. Peter stands up and he says this. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? In other words, we couldn't live up to the law. God had to come save us. What makes you think that adding the law to the Gentiles is going to help them any more than it helped us? He says, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Bottom line is, it is by grace you are saved through faith. That's it. There's not a Jesus plus. It's all Jesus. It's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so they put together a letter to send out to these churches. And Paul goes out and distributes them. In the letter, in the letter they just simply say, hey guys, love you. You're doing a good job. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You can read it in Acts 15. Listen, it'd be good for you to abstain from like idols and blood sacrifice to idols and, some th and sexual immorality. Other than that, follow Jesus. Like, you don't have to add these rules. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to worship some, fa some festival and add all these things to your life. Just follow Jesus. And Paul goes out and he begins to share this, but he keeps hearing that these churches are falling back into these rules. So he writes the first letter, his first letter, to the churches in Galatia to deal with this issue. And that's where we find ourselves. Galatians chapter 1. Paul starts off and he says something, you know, like, grace and peace to you. I, I, it's the apostle Paul. I'm the one who God sent out. And in all of his other letters, he writes something nice like, good to see you. I've been thinking about your mother, Eunice, and your, and your grandmother, Timothy. You know, like he has these nice things to say to the churches. Doesn't do that here. In verse six, he jumps right in and he goes, I am astonished. 
I'm shocked that you are so quickly deserting, walking away from the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. The word here is heteros. It's where we get our idea, male, female. They're completely different, right? He says it's, it, not only is it a different gospel, it's no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, right? It's getting worse. It's getting messier and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. They're changing the message. And Paul is angry here, and those words are strong. They get stronger later on in the book, especially chapter 3. <laughs> and one of the reasons that Paul, I think, is so angry, he tells us later on in chapter 1, is that he had been trying to pursue the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. According to the law, he was perfect, and he tried to defend the law and the rules of the law, so much so that he persecuted and even was a part of the killing of certain Christians until, until he met Jesus. And Jesus set him free of all that. And here is Paul that has been set free from those things, has this great relationship with Jesus, and he's seeing the very churches that he's helped to plant. He's seeing them fall back into a lifestyle and a pattern that he used to live that didn't give him any hope or joy or peace. He only found that in Jesus, and they're adding Jesus plus, and he is mad. He's like, I personally know there's no hope in that. And so as he's writing this out, he, he has some things harsh, I think, to say to these what we call Judaizers, these Jewish Christians who are adding these laws. And just side fact, he's not the only one who's upset by this. If you look at the book of Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to the churches that he gives to the apostle John. And Jesus himself refers to these very same people, these Judaizers. He refers to them two times, one in chapter 2 uh, to the church of Smyrna and one in chapter 3 to the church in Philadelphia. And he says, these people claim to be Jews but are not. They are of the synagogue of Satan. Jesus would call these people of the synagogue of Satan. They belong to some other group but are not a part of what we believe is this new kind of family. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus. And so Paul would say in verses eight and nine, if, if even an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, that is that Jesus was God in the flesh, came to the earth, suffered and died for your sins, rose again, to give you new life and ascended into heaven, that he's coming back, that we get to be with him for eternity. If it's different than that, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. These are harsh words. And Paul is just simply telling us, even if the angel Gabriel showed up, the one who announced Jesus' birth and tells you something different, than what you've already heard from us, that you, by faith, can receive forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ. If it's different than that, it's no gospel at all. It's bondage, it's slavery, it's not freedom. It's not Christianity. So if you don't get anything else today, I hope you get this. The gospel is not about you following rules. It's about you following Jesus. That was Paul's message. He was upset that they were adding things to what it meant to follow Jesus. 
as a part of this series, we, we thought it'd be great to reach out to all of our missionaries to ask them questions about what does it look like for the perversion of the gospel that exists around the world? What does it look like kind of this week when it comes to Jesus plus? And so we heard back from many of them. Let me just give you a few of them. Uh, Marissa, who's in Lusaka, Zambia, told us that many Christians attend church, they read their Bible and pray, but they add to that the healing and wisdom of local witch doctors including pastors that she knows that go to see witch doctors because they believe that Jesus is good and they should follow him, but it's not quite enough. They need to add this like local power of these witch doctors that they believe have control and fear over them. In Mexico, the Gomez family told us that Catholicism in Mexico involves much syncretism or the adding on of other religions, idolatry, worshiping things, and man-made religious rules. People believe they're made right by their good works, but not by faith. They know about Jesus, Edgar says, but they don't really know Jesus. They don't have that relationship, and so the rules become the focus. Ben in Colombia told us that the perverted gospel message is that Christ came to free the poor from the bonds of corrupt social structures and provide them with financial prosperity. That Jesus came so that you no longer have to be poor, but if you follow Jesus, you can be rich. But he said there's nothing about forgiveness of sins or justification or faith in Christ. And then we had one of our European partners who is a part of working with Muslim uh, immigrants and those who have converted to Christianity and described how difficult it is taking people who were a part of this ritualistic religion of Ramadan and fasting and praying five times a day and they come to know Christ and they so easily want to fall back into finding rules to replace those things other than just a passionate following of Jesus. It exists all over the world and we'd be remiss if we didn't recognize that it exists in our own backyard as well. I wonder what our expectations are. And and they might not be intentional, but what, what have we put on others or how do we think differently and have we added to the gospel? It might not be something that you really have recognized But maybe God wants to stir us up and kind of go, what are those things in our lives that we think make someone a follower of Jesus? If someone worships differently than you do, do you think that they're missing out on something? Do you think they should be more like you? If so, you're adding something on. If someone reads a different version of the Bible than you do, Do you think that that's wrong? Is there a particular version that you think is better? And how does that affect your thinking about other people? If someone has a different stance politically, do you find it hard to accept that they are truly followers of Jesus? Do you have to be a Jesus follower and believe all of these things? If so, are you adding to what Jesus has already done for us? If someone doesn't pray like you, does that mean that they aren't as connected to God as you are? If someone has a bad habit that they continue to practice, do you believe that they are missing out of the kingdom of God, that maybe they're just not saved? If someone belongs to a different denomination or a different church affiliation, 
do you think they are missing out on being a part of the new and real church? I remember a board member years ago, one of my first churches I was an assistant pastor in, we were at a board meeting discussing different programs that we had, and a board member made this statement that it was the real Christians who showed up on Sunday night. And I didn't keep my mouth shut, and I'm not there anymore. And <laughs> but that's what made Paul so angry is there's this expectation or this idea that you have to be something more. And oftentimes it might be good intentions, but sometimes people, it might be spiritual pride. I want to have some way to check off. Are they right with Jesus? Are they right with Jesus? You know, how do I know I'm right with Jesus? Do I check off that I've done my 15-minute prayer and my Bible reading? I came to church three times. I serve here, Right? It's easy for us to fall back into that and somehow think that our connection with Jesus is all about the things that we've done. That's a perversion of the gospel. Now let me just say, I journal, I pray, I've got different spiritual disciplines of fasting that I do, but I don't do those things because it's a part of a ritual. They are a means to me getting to pursue Jesus and getting to know him more. It's when I put those expectations on other people and think that they're missing out or they don't have the fullness of the gospel if they don't do these things. That's what makes it dangerous is when we put those burdens on others. It's not about you following the rules. It's about you following Jesus. I remember as a teenager, uh, I was frustrated with the church I was watching people around me who attended all these you know, church meetings and did all the right things and they tithed and they gave and they served, but I knew their lifestyle and it didn't match what I thought a Christian should be and I struggled with all of that. And I remember Herb Smith pulled me aside as a teenager one time. This old saint in the church, family friend, and Herb pulled me aside and he brought some correction for me, but I don't know why God led him to that moment, but I still remember where I was standing. He said, Thad, don't you worry about all those people. I think he probably said something like, they're a little, they're a little off, right? Don't you worry about those people. You pursue Jesus, listen to his spirit, and then do what he tells you to do. It's not about what they tell you. It's not about expectations. You pursue Jesus, listen to his spirit, and do what he says. Man, that changed me. That brought freedom. Didn't mean I had to wear certain things on Sunday, right? I didn't have all these different rules and expectations placed on me as some kind of a yoke or a burden. I could simply, with all I had, pursue all of who Jesus was. And that freed me up. Church, we need a little bit more of that. I think if you're an unbeliever or a new believer and you've been coming to church and you're saying, maybe you need to hear that today, that it's all right. Pursue Jesus. Listen to his spirit and then do what he tells you to do. Like, let's start there. There's freedom in all that. If the church exploded exponentially because of that in the early centuries, why would that not work today? Which one of your lost friends doesn't need to hear that? Because right now, they probably think when they picture a follower of Jesus, they probably ask them this week, what do you think it means to be a Christian? I'm guessing 
a majority of them will give you a list of things that they need to do or not do. I'd be surprised if they said, oh, it's just simply Jesus. But maybe that's something you can let them know. And you can open up Galatians and go, let me show you, because Paul said the same thing. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. God has something for us. The churches in Galatia and Asia Minor struggled with what it meant to be a part of this new family, these Jews and Gentiles, slave and free men and women, rich and poor, separated by all of their differences, but united in Christ, and it was a mess. It was a mess. That's why it made it so easy for these Judaizers to come in, but it was God's beautiful mess, and it was working. It was working, but we add to that mess when we add Jesus plus. We distract, we confuse. It costs more even though Jesus has already paid the price. It's more complicated than simply following him, right? And it separates us more, church. The closer we get to just Jesus, the more aligned we are together. And there's less things to separate us. So my prayer for us this week as believers, as followers, is that God would check our spirit whenever we feel this angst of, oh, I wish so-and-so would do this, then I know they'd be saved, or I know they would be a better Christian. I pray that God convicts us and checks us in that and goes, what makes you think that that thing, is that your passion, or is that really a thing? Have you added to the gospel? If so, then it's really no gospel at all. How do we get back to just Jesus? In the coming weeks, we're gonna be talking more about that. But for those of you who are unbelievers, those of you who are searching, I pray that you'd continue to search. But may the church forgive us if we have added these burdens. They are an expression, many of these things, of our love for Jesus, that we pursue him through these means, but they're not meant to be a burden. And if you've confused that, and if we've confused that, forgive us for that. Our prayer is that you would pursue him, because he's everything, and he's all you need. It's not Jesus plus, it's just Jesus. Lord, as we leave here today, we go out into a world that is hurting, who confuses religion with relationship. And Lord, we're guilty of being the ones to do that. I pray that uh, this week you would allow us, the church, to simply pursue you, listen to your spirit, and do what you tell us. And God, that we might find new expressions and new ways to pursue you, but Lord, that we would not make them burdens or rules for others to follow, that it would just be ways that we find to discover more of who you are. And God, for those who are searching today, I pray that they would just forget what they've heard about Christianity and that they would just simply pursue you. And in that, Lord, you would meet them, just as you did for Paul, for Timothy, for all the disciples, and for me, and for so many of us, that they would discover you, that you would reveal yourself to them, and that they would come to follow you and know you. Because, Lord, that is the gospel. That is the good news. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.